Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this batch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 385 Plans Never Go As Planned Extraction Point Beta the force of the rotor effect whipped up the grass and leaves wildly as the members of Claymore 1 boarded the rear ramp of the flying banana. Wolf secured the girl into the backle seat while the rest stared at him with smirks on their faces. Specialist Sergeant Tyria walked over and took a look at the unconscious girl before he turned around and addressed the whole squad. So, is this some kind of tradition we're going to have for a future? Picking up girls to bring back on every mission, Tyria grumbled. Are we some kind of damsel in distress rescuers, or some kind of hero? Is this going to be a thing in the future? He asked, looking at everyone strapped in, in the bay. You saved that tomboy from the hero, Terrio pointed to Hitsu before turning to Young, and you picked up those two companions of the hero. As for you, he pointed at Loke, you picked up that boy and his girlfriend from Sin City. Now a barking new guy picks up a beast girl, Terrio growls. What is it with you guys? Altier giggled as he listened to their squad leader's complaint. Tyria snapped his eyes at Altier and added, You are worst. You picked up some curse from a goddamn necromancer, and you still did laugh now. Who are we? Tyria asked. The hundred and first, the men chorused loudly as the helo rotors. Good that you know it, Tyria growled. Now stop this business of picking up strays. We're killers, not babysitters. Is that clear? Sir? Yes, sir. The chorus again loudly. The healer made its way back. The second rocket barrage screamed its ways over the balls of flames and smoke as they rose up behind them, turning the forest into a red in the night. Northern Front, Orwell's Point Defense Line. The rock grunted with effort as he and other members of his squad pried loose the dragon's carcass lodged into the soil. Another group of men lassoed the carcass and everyone put their backs into it and dragged the carcass off the trench. The wagon, called a flatbed, reversed its way over and the men dragged the dead dragon up before securing it tightly with ropes. The rock sat down on the side and took out his canteen of water to drink while his buddy also joined him. Looks like lunch and dinner will be dragon sandwiches and stew. His buddy watched the vehicle drive off with the dragon carcass. Never expected to see the day that so many dead dragons that they can use them as to feed our slowly soldiers, huh? Rock nodded wordlessly, and his attention was instead focused on the rows of stripped imperial dead, each covered in a white cloth or blanket. Piles of armor and weapons laid in small mountains and tribute rested next to the dead. Already the bodies were being carried on board wagons that would bring them somewhere to be buried or burned. Hey, Cork! His buddy waved his hand in front of him. You bothered by the dead? The Rock frowned as he considered his answer. A little, I guess. After all, those men have lives just like, uh, us. True, true, his buddy nodded. Then they should have just mind their own business and not come and try and kill us. If they did not want to kill us, we won't have to kill them, his buddy said. And we won't be here in the bloody mud either. The rock gave a rare smile to his only friend. You're right, if there were no wars, there'd be no deaths. But I don't see how we can stop or win this war, the rock sighed. The emperor... He stops at nothing to get what he wants. You sound like you know the Emperor himself, the buddy laughed. We just leave the big thinking to the lords and commanders. We just do what they tell us. 
The rock laughed along with his buddy and nodded. Yeah, we just follow orders and keep our heads down. Yeah, his buddy grinned. Come on, the sergeant's calling. The rock nodded and stood up. He took a last look around the battlefield, seeing the destruction wrought by the SDF against the Imperial Third Army, and silently gave a prayer to the dead. Foliage, Northern Front, Nova Command Headquarters. Colonel Frank tapped his finger on the edge of the map table as he watched the tactical officers platform a battle simulation representing their situation. After a while, when the end results were clear, he clapped his hand and stopped to battle some. All right, good work, everyone, he said to the staffers. Take 15-minute break and we do a debrief. The men all filed out of the room to go to the toilet or get some refreshments while Frank remained behind staring at the map. Top, what do you think? Master Sergeant Top Pike frowned as he tapped the icon representing the ruins of Norshelm. That's the problem we're facing. The Imperial fleet had landed and taken shelter in those ruins, Pike said. So far our bombing efforts aren't really doing much other than forcing them to turtle in. As for the 1st Imperial Army, 1st and 2nd Battalion has them in their pocket already and all remains are just simple mopping up up. As for the 2nd Imperial Army here and the 3rd here... Pike pointed at the map between the two cities. The second army is bogged down here while the third just took heavy defeat in terms of the aerial dragons and troops. All of our current forces are engaged with those two imperial armies, Pike said, and we have no troops to check that force the imperial fleet landed in Norshalb. Frank nodded as the previous few simulated war games had shown how the army at Ruined City came smashing its way down to flank the northern front before they could move any substantial force to block them. The only option was to use PT boats and hit the Imperial force as they attempt a river crossing and harass them as much as possible. That was only possible if the Imperials pushed in the direction of the river. We did not expect a force to appear at all, Frank said. Intel did not even catch word of it until it was too late. And most of our artillery assets are deployed around Forlidge and are busy dealing with the 1st and 2nd Imperial, said Pike. Yeah, our original plans were to steamroll right flank all the way to Orwell's Point, Frank said. But this new force puts a dent in our plans. Plans never seem to go as planned. The SDF station at Orwell's Point is already deployed against the Third Army, Frank continued. If the fourth force comes knocking at our doors, even our reserves cannot reach the city in time. Keep bombing them, Pike suddenly said. Delay them as long as possible while the reserve battalion rushes over. Strip the PT boats of the rocket pods and use them as stationary artillery platforms, Pike added. Get whoever on whatever you can build forward fourth here. Pike's fingers tapped on a spot in the map where a village icon stood next to the river, called Twin Fork. It's near enough to our lines to be reinforced within an hour and also has enough to watch over the Imperials in Norshelm, Pike said. If they attempt to land in the marshes to our right, we can use rockets to bombard them. And if they attempt to rush us, Pike continued, a couple of companies are stationed there can hold them off long enough for either to evacuate by the river or till reinforcements come. We have to strip some troops from the forward lines to put them in the forward there, Pike said. As for how to build a fort under their nose, there's piles of prefab concrete that's supposed to be used for housing and reinforcing the city walls at Oz Point, right? Pike grinned. Get the barges to ship them up to the villagers and let the engineers build a fort during the night. It'll give those imperial bastards a heart attack when they see a fort suddenly appearing the next day. <laughs> Frank laughed. You sly old fox. Northern Front, 37 kilometers north of Orwell's Point, village of Twin Fork. 
The village was named Twin Fork after the two identical boulders next to the forked road. When the two companies of SDF and the single marine company disembarked off the barge late afternoon, they found the small fishing village had long been abandoned in the face of the imperial invasion. The troops quickly started digging in around the village while bombers flew overhead and lobbed their bombs down to keep the imperials busy. When night came, barge after barge came up the river and started depositing machinery and prefabricated concrete pieces. Soon after several hours, a simple squarish fort was established. The thick concrete slabs acted as a wall surrounding the village of Twin Fork. The troops made use of the existing buildings for their lodging, and the officers and NCOs warned the men repeatedly not to steal or damage any property. When the first rays of sun shone down on the village, it was totally transformed. Coils of barbed wire surrounded the tiny fort and even the tops of the walls. Towers manned by machine gunners had popped up around the corners and the wall while the troops manned the two-story high walls. Bunkers were ammunitions and supplies were still being dug while the PT boats docked one by one and the crew carefully removed their onboard rocket pods that were shifted and dug in pits. Preparation for the Imperials were underway and there was constantly bombing runs from Norsalm. The Imperials were still crudest that the fort had suddenly appeared overnight, right under their noses. 3rd Imperial Army Camp Alberto Rothschild was feeling panicky as he paced up and down the richly carpeted Flory's tent. Gold-gilded furniture placed around the tent showed off his wealth, but paid no attention to his surroundings as he bit his nails while pacing. He did not expect that the rebels had managed to repeal his night attack after he'd posted before the Emperor and many other nobles. Now he was wondering how to save his own skin. My lord, a voice called out from the entrance, the commanders are here. Come in, he replied back as quickly took a seat as he did his best to score his expression to one of calmness. The commanders of various legions under his command entered and they bowed and only sat down after Alberto gave his permission. My lord, we have suffered great casualties from the, uh, night raid. I know, Alberto put on a false bravado in front of the commanders. It was a test the enemy's power. But my lord, one of the legion commanders stood up angrily. More than half of our troops were destroyed by the rebels, not to mention almost all the entire dragons. So, Alberto narrowed his eyes to the flustered commanded, as he did not care for his tone, his panic replaced by indignance. This just proves that the enemy has power far greater than ours. We'll move to another location and attack again. The commanders were confused by his words. Even the legion commander standing was taken aback by his words. Attack again in another location. More than half the army was killed or captured. Morale is at an all-time low in the army. The commander growled as he tried to keep his temper in check. Or for what? Just to say the enemy is stronger. And now you want us to attack from another location. Why are you all so stupid, Alberto frowned. If the enemy here is stronger, then of course we move to attack another area and break through into their lines. End of chapter. Chapter 386. Troop Movements. Northern Front. Marines and FDF companies were pulled off the lines and hastily transferred towards the east as they hurried to reinforce the eastern flank. Dozens and dozens of truck, shipmen, equipment, and supplies in an almost endless stream as they drove alongside the edge of the uncharted forest. 
Imperial aerial scouts attempted to investigate, were instead intercepted by the AF forces AF-1 Super Cobras, but despite all their efforts at keeping the Imperial guessing for their move, the news of the sudden and large movement of troops in the open towards the east came to the Imperial ears and eyes. Ruins of Norsal, Admiral of the Grand Fleet Shelter, the ground stopped shaking and the endless drizzle of the rock dust and the ceiling soon came to a halt. The Grand Fleet Admiral dusted his shoulders and sighed, feeling that how could someone of his prestige had to cower underground like rats from the enemy. Is it over? he asked to the room full of his fleet captains and aides. Yes, Lord Admiral, one of the aides replied as he went out to check the situation. The enemy's flying crosses are gone. The Admiral nodded and returned his attention to the map on the table. He tapped the spot on the map where the fishing village lay next to the main river just a day march south of the position. You certain that the rebels have a fort here? The other aide bowed his head and replied, Yes, Lord Admiral, our scouts had checked three times. They are very certain that the enemy had constructed a fort here. Impossible, the captain of the Grand Fleet spoke sharply. The day before, there wasn't even any living in that village. Now the scouts tell us that a fort has sprung up overnight. They need a ten-circled mage at least. Another captain nodded. He's right. There's no way the rebels had a mage above a six-circle, much more a ten-circle. Even us, the Empire, only have a single nine-circle mage. Could the Elementalists be helping out the rebels? Another captain asked. If they had an Earth Elementalist, they could do that overnight. Impossible. The captain spoke first to cut off the other's words. The emperor has the elementalists under his thumb. If anyone dared to raise their hand against him. He did not need to finish the sentence as everyone knew what would happen to the elementalists and their families should they turn against the emperor. Could it be a rogue elementalist? The captain started discussing the topic. If it's a rogue elementalist, then the empire's elementalists will have to hunt him or her down to prevent the emperor's wrath on the families. Enough for the talk, the Grand Admiral suddenly spoke out, leading the room to settle down. We need to find a way to attack the rebels, or it'll be us to worry about our heads and not those elementalists' families. We need to find a way to avoid those heaven-cursed flying crosses, the Grand Admiral said. Our mixed troops of sailors and soldiers cannot even take a crap without those damn flying crosses dropping their firebombs on us. I suspect that the sudden activity increased in bombing by those flying crosses are to prevent us from attacking the new fort the rebels have built at that village. The captain voiced his thoughts. The Grand Admiral nodded. Yes, it must be important if they have to do that. Could it mean that our presence is threatening the flanks? The rest of the captains looked at each other and at the map. Lord, that could be true. If that's the truth, then we must make a haste to push our men down to Orwell's Point before the enemy could reinforce his defenses, another captain said. The Grand Admiral rubbed his thick beard and considered the captain's words. But how do we avoid the rebels' flying crosses? Our dragons are no match for the smaller flying crosses either. And the quickest way down is by a river, which is controlled by the rebels, he added in a sour voice. And our ships hidden around the coves and marshes would risk getting destroyed by the rebels' flying crosses once they leave their hiding spots. We can float our troops down the river in dinghies and small boats. The captain gave a suggestion. Move at night, have the troops row down as close as possible to land and the shores. But our troops won't be able to see anything in the dark, the captain pointed out. The rebels will be the same. They won't be able to see us too, the captain argued back. 
if we were not forever sitting here at the mercy of the enemy's flying crosses. The rest of the captains nodded and muttered in agreement to the words, We can split our troops two ways, have the soldiers travel by land while our sailors travel by the river. The Imperial Grand Fleet Admiral had roughly 12,000 surviving soldiers and 15,000 sailors. They had enough supplies to last them two months, and every day spent sitting on their rears was the day the supplies were wasted. The Grand Admiral finally made up his mind and ordered, We move out at night and have the men build small boats from whatever materials they can get. I want a fourth, fifth, and sixth squadrons to set out just before the sunset to lure in the enemy's flying crosses away from our troops. The Grand Admiral tapped on the map in the inland sea. The three squadrons will be manned by the skeleton crew and basic supplies. Their role is to make the enemy think that we are making a break out of the ruins. Once the enemy has taken the bait, the Admiral eyed the captains and the three squadrons. Make the enemy chase you as long as possible. Your ships are the fastest in the fleet. The more time the enemy spends on chasing you means the more time our men get closer to the enemy fort. Your twelve ships will be instrumental in our victory or loss. The Grand Admiral gave them a grave stare. Do not fail the fleet. The captains commanded the three squadrons gave a salute to the Admiral proudly, knowing that they were given a great honor to help win the war. Go! We have much to prepare and not much time. The Grand Admiral dismissed the captains. Victory be upon us. Victory! Northern Front, Twin Fork Fort the Rock unconsciously smiled as he witnessed the Imperials approaching from the predicted paths and triggered off the traps that returned the surprised men into mince meat. He kind of understood how he was defeated now by the UN, and he was witnessing almost the exact same thing happening now. Despite the greatly outnumbered Marines and SDF troops, the Imperials were attacking in the same old-fashioned way, weathering the gunfire and artillery, hoping to breach the tiny fort's defenses by the sheer weight of numbers. They could have done so except for the ingenious barriers that hindered their movement, rows and rows of razor wire, which made the rock wonder who did the craftsmen of the UN ever produce such a contraption so skillfully and in such large numbers. While the Imperials attempted to navigate through the barriers of razor wire, the weapons that made the rock very impressed and in awe was the machine gun, the MG-1, called the Rocker by the SDF troops due to the tempo of the firing that sounds like some rock music that they'd been listening to lately while in the front lines. The machine guns cut down the Imperials like paper targets, so easily that the rock had a rare feeling of honorless guilt, yet at the same time, watching the hundreds of soldiers getting mowed down gave him a sick sense of enjoyment and rush. The Imperial soldiers and sailors failed their attack for the fourth time of the day and the base of the hasty retreat leaving bodies scattered behind across the battlefield. The rock could only shake his head the way the lives were wasted. He suddenly stopped himself and smiled ruefully at that it was exactly what happened to him before. Ceasefire! Ceasefire! The order rang down the line as the rock took a finger off the trigger. Ceasefire in effect, we're letting the Imperials collect their wounded and dead. The men around the rock made noises of relief as it meant that they could take a short rest. Surprisingly, the rock, he felt a sense of relief like the rest and he wondered if his heart was now here instead of the Empire. The Imperial City of Silverstone, City Citadel, Great Hall a body leaking blood was held down as two guardsmen as they dragged the corpse out of the great hall. The emperor tossed the blood-stained sword at his side and took a scented tantal offered to him by the eunuch. 
wiped the blood off his hands and tossed the towel back before he sat down on the throne again. The kneeling rows of ministers and generals did not dare raise their heads as he awaited the emperor's judgment. The first army has been defeated totally, and the second and third are still stuck, unable to break the rebel lines. What joke is this? The emperor covered his face as he leaned on one side of the throne, close to half a million soldiers, and yet uh, we could not even break the rebels' defenses. Tell, why should I keep your lives as generals? The emperor growled as he stared down at the troops of kneeling with their heads touching the floor at his feet. Useless. My emperor, the generals cried out for mercy. The enemy employs demonic weapons and powers that are strange and new to us. Their powers far greater than ours. Enough excuses. The emperor slammed his fist into the armrest of the throne. I want to see results, not excuses. Maybe I should have just had you all dragged off to become bronze men. The emperor's eyes glittered dangerously by doing so. At least you all can become use in the end. No, my emperor, the generals begged as they count out frantically. We know our mistakes. We shall not repeat them ever again. Fine, the emperor waved off the pleas of mercy. Last chance. Take two legions of bronze men if you all fail this time around. Do not say I have no mercy for you. The generals quickly bowed and retreated back just as quick, fearful of the emperor changing his mind. After the great hall was emptied, a dark-cloaked figure stepped out from the shadows and bowed. My emperor! What news of the war? The emperor asked as he took a sip of wine. It is as the generals have spoken. The cloaked figure remained kneeling. The weapons employed by the rebels are too strange to understand and too powerful for the imperial army. We managed to obtain a few samples of their weapons. The cloak figure gestured to two imperial lifeguards, each holding a long wooden rectangular box, walked up and lifted the lids open. The long-barreled weapon sat on red velvet cushion, and the workmanship was immediately clear to all that this was made by some god-leveled craftsman. The finished and mold seemed too perfect to be made by mortal hands. The emperor's eunuch took over the weapon from the lifeguard and presented it to the emperor, who took it in both hands. He gave the weapon a heft and examined the weapon closely. It's called a rifle by the rebels, the cloak figure said, but this is but a lesser version of what the barbarian troops are using. It is said that these rebel barbarians carry much powerful version. This is for their militia. The emperor frowned as he continued to inspect the weapon in his hands. With this level of workmanship, and it's only fit for their lowly rabble. End of chapter Chapter 387 Espionage The sudden sharp roar of the rifle shocked the people inside the citadel, and the doors of the great hall swung open as the guards with blades drawn and ministers rushed in. The emperor coughed and spat to the side as the foul-smelling smoke shrouded the great hall and choked him. The cloaked figure waved his hands, casting a small spell that blew the foul air away while the emperor's men looked at him with worry. Your majesty, are you safe? Is there an attack? Y yes, yes. The emperor coughed again and took the offered wine from his eunuch as he cleared his throat. Nothing to be alarmed about. Leave me, he said as the next waved the men away and glanced around curiously before they retreated from the great hall. The emperor gestured to his eunuch to bring the bronze jaw and the far table, which had toppled over as he fired the rebel's weapon. 
His eunuch carried the jaw and presented it to the emperor, who saw the jaw had a small hole in the side and a ragged hole at the other. This weapon is very fascinating. The emperor strolled over to the table, and the cloak figured followed him behind. Soon he spotted what he wanted to find as he poked his finger into the still warm hole in the side of the stone pillar. How fascinating! And this weapon uses tiny metal bolts as ammunition? He asked as he held up a single rifle round to the cloak figure who bowed. Yes, my emperor, the spy master replied. These rifles are on these metal bolts are like how a bow needs arrows. And the smell and the smoke, the emperor turned and asking, How does it work? What kind of magic does it use? The cloak figure paused while before he took one of the shiny golden bolts and snapped it to tip off. He poured the contents out on the white tablecloth and pointed a finger at the pile of black and sand and cast a flame spell. The black sand caught fire and slowly burned with a sizzling fuse while giving off fumes of grey smoke and the smell of rotten eggs. The emperor stepped back from the smoke and covered his nose in disgust. Enough! The cloak figure swept his hands over the burning sand and the smoke was blown away, making the emperor sigh relief. It would appear that these rebels use some kind of alchemical sulfur to sand from the demons. As your majesty can see, the cloak figure gestured to the burnt pile. Lighting the back sand will cause it to burn, as that how the rebels shoot these pieces of metal at great force. And inside the rifle, the spy master pulled the bolt out and pointed inside. There is a flame rune engraved with a magic stone inside. The flames created by the rune ignites the black powder when you pull the trigger. The spy master held at the tip of the bolt as he broken off earlier to the emperor who took it and examined it closely. The flames look weak, and this looks very tiny little dart. The weak flames in this tiny dart can kill a fully armored knight over two hundred paces. The cloak figure reminded the emperor, this is what killing the soldiers. Fascinating. The emperor rolled the dart in his hands before closing his fist over it. We must learn how to make such weapons at once. Your wish is my command. The cloak figure bowed. I shall inform the alchemist girl to immediately investigate its mysteries. What are the numbers of rebels? The emperor asked offhandedly as he picked up the rifle again. Their numbers range between one and a half legion to two at most. The spy master said between 1,500 to 2,500 men. They have over 40 legions, the emperor paused in his examining of the rifle and cast a glance at his spy master. Forty legions, and we could not even win a single battle. The emperor shook his head and gestured to the rifle in his hands. This is why we need to learn the secrets of this uh, weapon. Imagine forty legions equipped with these. Who could stop us? Even the isles hiding across the sea would not be able to stop me. The emperor grinned. Once we have the rebels destroyed, the isles will be next. And their shipbuilding capabilities we will march towards the old world. My emperor is the most wise, the spy master bowed. Also, there is another piece of news. What news? The emperor's mood was greatly improved as he toyed with the rifle. There seems to be some elementalist aiding the rebels, the cloak figure said. The rebels managed to construct a fort within the span of a night. We suspect them to be a rogue elementalist, as all of our elementalists are under our strict watch. Is that so? The emperor smiled as he pointed the rifle around like a child with a new toy. Send our elementalists to finish off those rogues, then. Continue your stalking of the rebels. The emperor put down the rifle in his hands and suddenly said in a serious tone, I want to know everything about their power and the secrets of the weapons. Do not fail.
The cloak figure gave a low bow as he retreated towards the shadows. Your wish is my command. The stalkers live to serve you, my emperor. United Nations, City of Haven, Fortress Singapore, Captain's Quarters. Come in, Blake said without looking up from his work as someone knocked at the door. What is it? Sir, we got some intel that might be of value at ending the war. The words of intel officer Lieutenant Tabar immediately caught Blake's attention as he choked up his head. What? Blake placed a report on supplies in the front line on hold and gave his full attention to Tabar. We have just gotten some information regarding the whereabouts of the Imperial Emperor. Lieutenant Tabor gave a rare smile, but the information might be outdated. Okay, tell me everything from the start, Blake said as he gestured to Tabor to be seated. Claymore One had picked up a Peace Girl slave from the wreck mission against the Imperial Knightly Order of Shadows. Tabor explained, they managed to extract Zyfli after calling up a couple artillery strikes that took out the camp and the estimated 80% of the Imperial Knights. When they came back to base, security took the slave in and ran her through a full course of security and medical checks, both physical and magical. Tavar continued, and it turns out the Beast Girl used to serve under the little assistant of your wife. Gagar! Blake frowned as he recalled the little cat girl with the Shireen's assistant in City Hall. Have you confirmed her identity? Tavar nodded. When security came to me, I told them to prioritize bringing her over here after security results were cleared. I just came over directly after setting up a meeting between Kagar and the Beast Girl. Tevar took out a folder and placed it before Blake, who opened up the folder and saw a dossier of the Beast Girl that they were discussing. So, what valuable information did she provide? Well, plenty, Tevar smiled. She was the personal slave of the leader of the Order of Knights, a knight order that actually captured the Beast City. She was privy to much inside information as apparently the leader of the Order of Shadows, who refers to himself as the Joker, Tavar gave an eye roll at the name, thinks that she was just a piece of meat that he can kill at any time. So, I get the Imperial numbers, supply routes, rally points, war plans, all ready to be given out from the girl. Tavar's eyes turned into slits as he smiled happily. And best of all, we know where the Emperor is. Tavar stood up and walked to the wall, and the map hung and tapped on a spot in the map. Here. Blake stood up and joined Tavar at the map wall, looking at Tavar and pointed. The city of Silverton. Blake turned and stared at Pising around his office as his mind went into overdrive at the information. How far is our nearest base? Roughly 500 kilometers away from Orwell's point, Tavar promptly replied. 500 clicks, sir. Blake returned to the map and traced his fingers on the map, just within operation range of our flyer's endurance. Any way to tally the information on the Emperor still inside the city? Blake asked. Hard, Tavar said. The war has cut off all contact between us and their cities. Silverton is out of our influence. My boys on the ground don't have any contacts there yet. Hmm. Blake folded his arms as he took a look at the map again. How many UAVs still up? Tavar sighed and said. Just one. The others are already being stripped down for parts, and the last UAV is fully tasked. I think I'd better call a general staff meeting, Blake said. We need to know what assets we can use. Attention on deck. The officers, both physical and virtual, stood at attention until Captain Blake called for them to stand down. All right, I'm sure you're all curious about this urgent meeting, Blake addressed everyone. I'll let Lieutenant Tabor brief you. 
As of yesterday, 1300 hours, Intel has picked up a piece of reliable information regarding the whereabouts of the Imperial Emperor Varrican. Lieutenant Tabor's words immediately had everyone's attention. He is supposed to be here, Lieutenant Tabor pointed to the map. At the city called Silverton, it's 490 kilometers away from Orwell's Point. We need to check the information before we decide to do to next, Captain Blake said. And we need eyes over the city, where we seem to be currently lacking any surveillance aircraft. Air Force Commander Tommy gave a frown and spoke up. Sir, the UAVs are being taken down and been replaced with the new AWACS FB-1 Mariners. Still, a couple of weeks to retrofit the F-1 Mariners into AWACS role, Commander Tommy said. We need to integrate and test the sensors and equipment of the stripped UAVs on board the Mariners. Blake shook his head. Using a conventional aircraft might alert the snake. Do we have any other means of surveillance? Blake asked. Use the dragons, Commander Tommy suggested. We can send Blue and Rastraz over to take a look to see the tight beam laser comes over. No, sir, Lieutenant Tabor replied. No dragon will be able to make it past a number of aerial defenses of the Silverton and the Emperor is really there. Not to mention flying hundreds of kilometers over uncharted enemy territory. Well, Cap, Chief Engineer Matt suddenly spoke up. I should be able to squeeze out another mission on the last UAV. Give me two days. No, one day. Let me then the boys work the UAV over. It should be enough for it to fly at least one last mission. Blake nodded. Do it. Next. Suppose the Emperor Varrican is really there. Blake looked around the room. What should our course of action be? Military. Everyone said the same thing. No room for negotiations, Blake asked again to be sure. No, sir. Everyone replied in a serious tone, even Shireen, who remained quiet at the side, who also agreed, shaking her head. Understood. Blake turned to Colonel Frank. You, get your strategic staff to work together with Intel to plan the attack. We shall strike directly at the Emperor and see what he has to say when we are in his face. The men grinned as one as they rose and saluted. Yes, sir. End of chapter. Chapter 388 Elementalists United Nations City of Forlage Lieutenant Collins, military attaché to the governor of Forlage, watched the rows and rows of marines carefully packing the gear and parachute silks inside the simple wooden shed while sergeants strolled up and down, keeping an eagle eye on the actions. One sergeant paused before an orc marine who was busy stuffing his parachute silks into his pack. Private, the sergeant growled loudly. What the fuck do you think you're doing? Packing my bag, Sarge. The orc shot to his feet in attention and answered. Packing? The sergeant shook his head. Is this how you pack your parachute? Uh, the orc gave a sheepish look at his pack. Yes, Sarge? The sergeant gave a consolidating pat on the orc's shoulder. If you keep packing it that way, I'd better bring it along an extra-large body bag for you. The orc's expression changed, and he looked down as he packed again and gulped. Sorry, Sarge. You don't have to be sorry, the sergeant squatted down next to his pack and started shaking the contents out. Do it again. After all, it's not my life. Yes, Sarge. The orc quickly took the parachute silks out and refolded them, while the rest of the platoon laughed. His buddies on the side quickly helped him with his packing. Collins returned his attention to the two Madrid Battalion COs who were busy with a pile of paperwork as they amassed over a month. Captains, the city does not have enough stock of 6.5mm smokeless ammunition for your requested needs. We have plenty of BP ammunition still remaining, Collins said as the unhappy marine captains. Logistics has yet to transfer your supplies over since 1st and 2nd Battalion were transferred here instead. 
Black powder? The captain frowned. It will play hell with the new rifles. We need smokeless ammo. I only have limited stocks of smokeless, Collins replied. You have to wait till logistics move the supplies over. Both captains looked at each other and sighed. How long? The new orders came from top telling us to shift our asses here in preparation for a major op, and we don't have the ammunition for it if we go to Dateline to keep. Look, I can spare you as much as available ammo my people have, Collins gave his assurance, but other than that, there is nothing I can do till the joysticks move their stuff over. Damn, Captains grumbled. If it wasn't for the sudden order, we would have just resupplied at the depot instead of here. Collins gave a shrug. Well, this op looks big. Three battalions on standby here and all the big planes being diverted here too. The captain of the second battalion nodded. We are supposed to hit the city of Silverton. Intel has it that the emperor is there now. If we can take down the emperor, this war will be over. I know, Collins replied with a helpless look, but I can't move supplies with a snap of my fingers. Besides, Intel is yet to determine if the Emperor is really there or not, as all the aircraft have arrived yet, Collins said, and even if the troops haven't even finished packing their parachutes, we still got time. I guess you're right, the captain sighed as he looked at the list of tasks on hand. The deadline HQ gave us was pretty tight still. Without adequate supplies, it'll be a disaster waiting to happen, Collins pointed out. Raise it up with HQ, they are not the ones on the ground, so they don't know. Collins tapped a stack of forms on the table and said, Logistics should need a day to transport some of your supplies over. I heard they are running out of wheels and the goblins are out in force in the forest, so expect delays. All right, I guess that's what we can do for now, the captains gave in. Get as much ammo for your boys ASAP. We don't know when the order will come for us to begin the operation. Third Imperial Army, Imperial Left Flank Outriders from the Third Army had managed to link up with the remnants of the Grand Fleet with the message coming from Silverton that reinforcements were coming, boosted Alberto Rothschild's confidence. Attacked the twin fork dwarfed together with the Saders, Alberto ordered his commanders. The past week of defeats and deadlocks had his temper high as he failed to break through the rebel lines. But my lord, the commanders showed their displeasure at his orders. We had been attacking non-stop for the whole week. The soldiers are tired and they need proper rest before they can attempt another attack. They are just lowly soldiers, Alberta hissed. Their purpose is to die for us in the battlefield. Why waste our supplies on them? Send them in together with the Grand Admiral's troops. That which is in Orwell's point, Alberta growled at an unhappy commanders. I must get my hands on her. Imperial reinforcements en route to the 3rd Imperial Army. The silver-haired young man dressed in grey robes rode on the back of a massive land dragon, his body swaying to the rhythm of the swagger of his mount as he kept pace with the hundreds of other knights and soldiers. The heavy thumping of ironclad boots and the bronze men was like a lullaby as they marched in the night. The road was lit up using hooded lanterns and the troops no longer travelled on long snaking lines. Instead, they were broken up into many smaller groups of thousands and they set off in half an hour intervals to prevent the flying crosses from attacking them at all. Riding together with a silver-haired young man were two of his companions, an older bearded male and a female of similar age to the youngster, and surrounding the trio were a squad of imperial lifeguards who rode in silence throughout the whole journey. Just the girl called in worry as he saw the silver-haired youngster was almost toppling in the saddle. Don't fall asleep on the saddle. 
Hmm? Jutza rubbed his sleepy eyes and yawned loudly while stretching his arms. He had dozed off in the saddle and even had a dream. A dream of better times and of his family, his elder sister, who had disappeared somewhere out there. They said she died while in the service of the Empire when they were trying to deal with the rebels. Now he had an opportunity to find out the truth of his sister's disappearance. He gave a charming smile to the girl next to him and said, Sorry, Seal, the ride was making me drowsy. Seal smiled back and patted the rough hide of the lumbering glad dragon. I feel drowsy too, but we need to keep our wits on. I heard that the enemy's flying crosses can see in the dark and they drop egg bombs that can destroy a level 3 magic barrier with a single hit. Jutsa laughed as he looked up at the star-filled sky. <laughs> I don't think they're so powerful to be able to see in the dark. Even dragons can't do that. Don't laugh, Seal pouted. They say that the strange flying crosses are some kind of demon. So why can't they see in the dark? The elder male turned around at Seal's words and said over Grave Toad, Don't be believing what others say. You are, after all, an elementalist mage. Yes, Minister Zanaga. Seal replied meekly and struck out her tongue at Magister Zanaga's back when he did not notice while Jitsa giggled softly at Seal's antics. Magister Zanaga, what do you think those flying crosses are? Seal asked curiously. What manner of creatures are they? Hmm... Magister Zanaga stroked his beard in thought before he said, It might be some kind of monster hybrid. I have to witness it firsthand before I can make any correct deductions. Just be on guard, Magister Zanaga advised. We are in the end to the battle and anything can happen. Just focus on protecting yourselves and leave the rest to me. I don't know why children like you all want to rush into battle anyways. Magister Zanaga sighed. War is nothing but death and suffering. Magister Zanaga... Jutsa spoke up. I want to find my sister. She went missing in the battle with the rebels. And I am following Jutsa, Seal replied. I can't leave him alone. Magister Zanaga frowned as he looked at Jutsa. Your sister, your von Aston. Jutsa nodded proudly. His family lineage was pretty famous amongst the magic community due to the family bloodline of elemental abilities that were generally higher compared to others. I see... Magister Zanaga's forehead ceased further. She passed away out there, right? Jutsa lowered his head. I don't believe the words. I believe she's still alive out there. She might even be taken prisoner. And you think this rogue elementalist is what's going to hunt? Might be her? Magister Zanaga directly asked. I, uh, yes. Jutsa replied hesitantly. And if she is, what will you do? Magister Zanaga asked gently. Now bring her home, Chatsa said solemnly. Do you know if you bring her home? Magister Sinaga lowered his voice. The emperor will still execute her for aiding the rebels. No, Chatsa shook his head. The emperor is benevolent. He will not kill her just because the rebels forced her to aid them. Magister Sinaga gave a sad smile and decided to change the subject. Well, if you want to save and protect your sister, then you better improve your abilities. Yes? Jutsa nodded fervently. I'll make sure to improve my powers so that I can be the one to protect her in the future. Magister Zanaga smiled sadly as he looked at the hopeful expression on both the youngsters' faces. He couldn't bear to tell them that the Emperor had ordered the rogue elementalist must be killed or the families will bear the consequences for the failure. North Front, UN, Right Flank, Twin Fork Fort. Contacts coming on the left, a yell cried out. 
The rock raised his rifle as his tired arms in that direction and took aim. His shot further bruised his sore shoulder as the rifle butt slammed mercilessly against him and a dose of smutty gun smoke further dried his parched throat. Last clip, someone's hoarse voice scowled down from the walls. I'm out. The rock patted his bondolier pouches and only felt cloth. I'm running out too. Fire in the hole. The ground beneath the walls suddenly erupted into flames, smoke, and dirt as the claymore mines detonated, spewing the deadly load outwards towards the charging enemy who breached the final razor-wide defenses. The Imperial troops had the numbers to spare, while the defenders numbering only a few hundred could only hold them back for so long. Fall back to the river, remember your firearms, don't leave them behind for the enemy, you hear. The cry of retreat came to the blessing to Rock's ears. His buddy jerked his arm and cried, Come on, Cork, let's get the hell out of here. The men followed the retreat order quickly and abandoned their positions to run towards the river, where several barges awaited them. The rock and his buddy followed the rest as they climbed down the stairs and followed the men to forced in lines by the NCOs and officers. Line up and get on board in an orderly manner. Imperials, someone yelled and pointed. Heads turned and saw the tips of ladders appearing on the bastion walls. Third company, form line. An officer quickly rallied his men, and the men are ready veterans by now, smoothly assembled into a firing line. Some, not even the third company, joined to help provide cover for the rest aboard the ships. Fire! End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed if you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated. And I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.